Amen. Amen. Good morning, family. The fact that God always holds us close. The fact that even the losses that we perceive to be losses in our lives, he still uses it in a way that we would have victory. That we have all victory in Christ. Amen. Amen. Good to see you this morning, family. Today we're going to conclude our series, Stories That Jesus Told, and we're going to find ourselves in Mark chapter 12. And, and while you're turning there, uh, I w- I've been, I think that I'm pretty, um, I'm a pretty generous person. But, but there's two things that if I have to lend it, it's with great caution. Uh, one, one of those things are, are tools. Uh, I, I'm a tradesman. I, I don't like to lend people tools. I, I will lend you a tool, but I have a little bit of a hard time, uh, and I try to take care of my tools. And, you know, tools are one of those things when you lend it to someone and, and they hold on to it for a while, they forget who, who it belongs to. I have a lot of tools. I do a lot of projects. And, and anytime I need a tool, I will not um, try to use something in its wrong application. I'll go and buy the tool that I need for the job. The other thing I, I have a hard time lending is, is books. Even when I'm uh, in school and, and doing a work online, often I print things. I like to have books. I like to, to be able to have the paper and turn it and refer back to it. So I have hundreds of books. Maybe I might have a thousand books on, on many different subjects. I like to cook. I have books on cooking. I, obviously, I have books on theology. The majority of my books are about the Word of God. And if you're here and, and I've lent you a book, usually a, a teacher and person in the teaching capacity, I, it goes along with a, a story, a, a remembrance that is my book. Um, so my, my wife has a, a a habit of, um, you know, when you bend the corner of the book, I don't like that. <laughs> if you were to to look at my wife's Bible, whether it's the Bible she's currently using or uh, Bibles from the past, it, it will be a chronicle of all of her experiences. She highlights, she dates, she writes comments. I never write in my Bible. Which probably is not the best idea, but it just goes back to the way I feel about books and even lending um, books out. Have you ever heard the the term, um, possession is nine-tenths of the law? And, and what that's saying is, if, if it's in my possession uh, and we went to court, 
uh, they would say, well, whose possession is it in? And, and that who is, is probably the owner, but that's not um, law. That may be a truism, but that is not actually um, the law. Uh, you, a person merely possessing something, does not necessarily mean that they have nine times greater claim to that object over someone else. So this morning, the sermon title is, Who Owns It? And again, we're in Mark chapter 12, and I'll be reading out of the CSB. So if you would stand for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 12 reads this, this way. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug out a pit for a wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from them. But they took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant to them, and they hit him on the head and treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and they killed that one. He also sent many others, some they beat, and others they killed. He still had one to send, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill the farmers and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. They were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they left him and went away. Father, we thank you for your powerful word, Lord. We thank you that every single time we approach your word, by your spirit, you do a deep work in us, Lord. And we come this day requesting that, believing that our needs will be met. You are a good God, and you take care of your children. So we ask that you would continue to do a transforming work in each and every one of us by the power of your word. I ask for myself as your vessel to be able to speak with clarity and boldness as we come to receive from your table. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
So we've just gone through this series. Stories that Jesus told and there have been all of these parables that we've gone over in the last couple of weeks. We've, we've visited uh, these stories and these parables are, are word pictures. Stories laid out in such a, a fashion that you can envision with your mind's eye of the events that are taking place. So, sort of like standing in a museum uh, at uh, uh, paintings in a gallery and interpreting uh, the message the artist was trying to convey through what he or she uh, painted. But this parable, this parable is different from the rest. This is an autobiography. Jesus is telling the story about what was currently taking place and, and what the future would hold, even what would happen to him. He starts with this beautiful scene of a plot of land and the care that the owner took in preparing the land to yield its crop. He said a man planted a vineyard, right? He wanted to cultivate grapes. And, and in this vineyard, he put a fence around it. A, a, a fence uh, speaks of separation. It speaks of protection and security. And, and he dug a pit for a wine press uh, to, to make wine. After the harvest, uh, it would produce something. And then he built a watchtower. A watchtower is so that you can look out and see who's coming to protect the vineyard. And then it says that he, he leased it. He didn't sell it. It was his. He owned it. And whenever you lease something, there are terms that go along with that lease. So he leases it to these tenant farmers, and, and he went away. And at harvest time, he sent a servant to the farm to collect some of the fruit from the vineyard. Many times... When Jesus spoke, uh, the meaning was much deeper than we sometimes recognize. That is why it is important in your study of the Word that you do some excavation, that you do some digging, and the women have been learning about that and speaking about that. The Pharisees, they knew those who Jesus was speaking to, they recognized that scene. It was from Isaiah chapter 5. He heard the description of this place, which reads this way. I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil cleared it of stones, 
implanted with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless grapes. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why then, when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now I'll tell you what I'm about to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will tear down its walls and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds that rain should not fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel and the men of Judah. The plant he delighted in, he expected justice, but he saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but he heard cries of despair. When, when they heard Jesus tell this story, and the way he laid out the landscape, because they were authority, had authority in the law, they knew the word of God. They understood immediately and recognized. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Let each one, Examine his own soul today and ask yourself, what more could God have done for me than he has already done? Some say, I'm just getting by. And another, I, I'm poor, someone else, I'm broken, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sick. He could have done far more. He, he could have given me more success, more opportunity, more skill, more talent, more, more of the good life. Maybe. But is there not something deeper? There is those things that are of the soul. God is saying, and he's, looking at someone here as he says it. Haven't I given a happy home and a task to work at? Given you parents that have prayed for you when you were a child and, and friends. And duties that you would be challenged with. Haven't I given you eyes to watch the sunset and the splendor of dawn, ears, to hear the glory of music. One of my favorite things to do is just to go outside in the morning and hear the birds and feel the sun 
on my face. One of my other favorite things to do is just the glory of music, to be in the congregation and for us to sing together. That's a gift from God. Hasn't he given you hands to touch the hem of his garment, given you his holy Bible to inspire and to kindle the deeper things in your heart, in prayer, which is a road to his mercy seat, and all the mystery and majesty of the cross of Christ. So I ask again, what more could I have done for him that I have not already done? This is the voice of God, our creator and redeemer. What more could I have done? You know, we consider these accoutrements and things that we desire and want and so often forget about the deeper things. But today, hearing it, it can only be one answer. Could have done nothing more, God. Nothing. You've done everything. You've done more than everything. It is, it is me to blame that, that the fruit is minimal. Is that your fault, God? I, I, I'm the one to blame. We can all just think about that and feel its weight. But even in our hour of worship, Someone could be here thinking this through and kneeling down, whether it be here or in a quiet room listening online and saying, God, there's nothing more you could have done. Let's look at this parable and just consider for a moment the patience and the long-suffering of God. He sent one after another to the tenant farmers, and then he sent his own son. The parable echoes what God has done for Israel. God sending one prophet after another, one voice after another. This is the story of Israel, but this is the story of every man and woman. God sends one voice after another. Are you hard of hearing? Are you hard-headed? Or are you hard-hearted? He that has ears to hear, let him hear the patience and the long-suffering of God. Even when we view someone like David and we look at his fall, the Lord could have said to him, I'm done 
with you. I found you a shepherd and made you a king. And, and this is what you do with the vineyard that I placed you in, that I leased to you to steward? Look at Peter and the other disciples arguing over who would be first in the kingdom. The very week that they entered Jerusalem and Jesus was headed to the cross. Jesus could have said, you guys are, are finished. I've taught you for three years, and this is the discussion that you're having? When, when I leave, am I to leave you as my ambassadors, as my witnesses, as my representatives? Should, should you be placed in my vineyard to steward? And you're talking like this? could have said, you're finished. But instead, Jesus showed his patience. Jesus showed his long suffering, and he went to the cross, and he said, it is finished. Just think about how patient God has been to you and I. So, so as we listen to this story and we think, how could they? What we really should be saying is, how could I? Think about how often we smothered one pleading voice after another. How we've turned away, how we've stopped our ears, how we shut the door in our heart. But God, in his pursuit of the one leaving the 99, oh, his patience. Even after we've tried to run, even after we've tried to hide, even after we've shaken our fist at him, he never let us go. That's why we're here today, family. We see another truth in this parable besides the patience of the landowner. We see how evil tends to grow. It says, at harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from them. But they took him and they beat him and they sent him away Empty, empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant to them, and they hit him on the head. Look at the progression, and treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and they killed that one. He also sent many others. Some they beat, and others they killed. Sin grows. Sin increases. Sin multiplies. L look, at, look at Cain. Envy turned to hatred, and hatred turned to murder. Uh, look at Peter denying Christ three times when 
they accused him of being with Jesus. First, in a low murmur, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. The next time they asked him, he emphatically said, I tell you, I don't know the man. And the third time, he was cursing and shouting with an oath. The very nature of sin is that it grows. It refuses to be contained. It will not be tamed. It will not be caged. So as we look at the long-suffering and patience of God, sending one voice after another, and we look at sin and how it multiplies and grows, the last appeal the vineyard owner was to send his one son. Surely they would respect him. God sending Christ. Here is, here is everything that I am. My son, God incarnate. The question becomes, what will you do with Christ? God's last appeal. God's last appeal. Maybe we don't physically kill him and drag him out of the vineyard. Maybe we're courteous when we want to be. Maybe we'll even deal in flattery, even be patronizing, politely ignore him, even come into church, but walking out of the doors and doing whatever it is that we do, whatever we please. The tenant farmers heard the sun was coming. Before he got there, looking from the watchtower that was built by the Father, they schemed. This is the air. This is our chance to get him out of the way so we could do what we please. So they surrounded him. And then they beat him. And then they crushed him and trampled over his poor body. And then they took his mangled dead body and threw it outside of the vineyard onto the road. The very vineyard he owned. Just a story? No. It's an autobiography. Within three days of telling this story, they would do the same thing to Jesus. The religious leaders and those screaming for his blood 
concluding in their hearts and minds, this settles the matter. We've silenced him. But God can't be silenced. No matter what you think, you're never done with Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and he will kill those farmers and give the vineyard to others. Listen to the response of those hearing the story. They were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd. They didn't fear God. They feared the crowd, and they knew that because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, so they left and went away. Those very religious leaders were the tenant farmers placed on the land of the owner to steward. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? God sends one voice after another. Are you hard of hearing? Hard-headed or hard of heart? He that has ears to hear, let him hear. A steward is a servant in charge of property belonging to his master, and he is given charge of it in order that it may be kept secure and that the master would be enriched by his activity. The steward, at some point, will give account for the property that has been placed in his charge. You're in his vineyard. You're a tenant farmer. And you have stewardship. You have stewardship over your family. You have stewardship over time. You, you don't determine into this world. You don't determine the day you leave this world but you are to steward your time well. It's not yours. You are stewards over the opportunities given to you. They, they had this vineyard prepared for them, a hedge around it. It was already planted. The rocks were already moved. They put a wine press there and a tower. That was opportunity. When the owner sent one of his servants at 
the time of harvest to receive some of the crops. You are stewards over God's resources. You are stewards over God's possessions. You are stewards over your God-given gifts and talents. He, he put that in you. And, and, and we just take it and use it for whatever we want. There's going to come a day where you're going to have to give an account. So I ask you again, how are you doing in God's vineyard, tenant farmer? Some produce a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. Or has God sent one voice after another to you? Are you hard of hearing? Are you hard-headed? Are you hard of heart? He that has ears, let him hear. When we are called to be stewards of something. There is a responsibility that goes along with that. It, it takes focus on the right thing. We have to pay attention to what God has placed in our care and recognize the responsibility that goes along with that. You're never going to say at the end of your life, I, I should have spent more hours on the job. It's not what life is about. Yeah, we got to feed our families. But in the meantime, life is continually going by. Your days are continually being spent. Chasing after what? You, you, to gain what? You're never going to say at the end, I wish I had more money. I, I, don't, I don't know how, how you've raised your children, those that have children, but I told my kids from the beginning, I'm going to front load everything. I'm going to give you all the opportunity in the world to do whatever you want to do within the power that I have to do it. But after that, once you're gone, whatever I have, your mother and myself are going to enjoy the fruits of our labor. And if it comes that anything is left over, have at it, but I'm not saving all of whatever I have so that you can have it when I'm done. No, I'm giving you your opportunity to take advantage 
of the position that we've placed you within. Saving for, for what? Some of the choices that we have to make, even when we get to a certain place financially or our age, or will also dictate this, is it's for us to look back and say, okay, like this is my station. This is where I stand. The clock is ticking. What, what is my life about? And, and if, if you're 60 and you're still on your grind, no, that's for a 20-year-old and a 30-year-old. Like, there, there has to come a point where there's a reality where it's like, no, this is where it is. And, and, and where we go from here matters. Are we just going to keep chasing? You're a steward. It's not yours. Your time your position, and, and especially in this country. Half the world does not have a flush toilet. And I'm a plumber. I've been a lot of places where there was, no, there was a hole in the ground. And guess what? If you didn't have a toilet, it'd be okay. Like, it, it worked out. What, what are you running after? What are you chasing? Consider this story. Read it again when you go home. Think about the tenant farmer is me. This all belongs to him. He, he put things in my care. And I'm going to have to give an account. And if we think about what he placed in our hands, those tenant farmers should have been joyful. He could have rented them a piece of land where they had to build their own tower and plant their own grapevines and install their own wine press. No, he's placed things in your hands. And he's going to come back at harvest time and say, what have you done with it? You can come up, Brittany. We spoke a couple of weeks about, ago about Peter going back fishing and and Jesus coming saying, I made you a fisher of men. You have no time for your fishing rod to be in the water. You have bigger things you've been called to do. You, you need to be pulling some out of hell. Well, you know, we get so, so selfish. And me and mine and what I think and what I want and how I feel and what I deserve. And the enemy uses those things to keep us on that wheel. Where Jesus is saying, pick up your cross. 
where Jesus is saying, keep your hands to the plow, where Jesus is saying, sell your possessions and, and give. The greatest thing you could give is, is your, yourself. Once you start giving yourself in your limited time, money and possessions and stuff, it means nothing. I'd rather give you 50 bucks. Don't ask me for 50 bucks. <laughs> then it's easier for me to give you 50 bucks than an hour of my time. That 50 bucks comes and goes. The hour of my time is gone. But if we recognize this time doesn't belong to me, for, for me to give you time that the Lord has called me to give you, it's a whole nother matter. It's time for us to um, recognize that we are, are rich and we are heirs. And what I like about this story was it left the Pharisees in a position and those leaders to make a choice. They went away and schemed for his life. He, he gave them the warning. It, it wasn't a done deal in that sense, nor is it for you and I. See, because even after killing his son. They could have pleaded for mercy and turned. And because of who the landowner is, the, the one who possesses everything, because of his patience and his long-suffering, because of his grace and his mercy, that, that, that is truly us. And even though that's us, look where we stand. As his children, as heirs, as those that represent. He, he could have said, David, I'm, I'm done with you. No. David paid consequences, but he showered him with his grace and his mercy. And to this day is the only person he called a man after my own heart. Uh, after Peter and the disciples were there talking about what position they were going to have. Oh, they died a martyr's death, but they did it in great joy. Because even after that, Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit. And then you see Peter not denying Christ, but standing there at Pentecost speaking with boldness. That's you and I, family. That's you and I. Before we close today, we're just going to open the altar and let's spend some time just reflecting. If you desire, please come. Let's just, let's just spend a moment just thinking about the goodness of God, his patience, and how sin 
even as his children, sometimes prevents us from being good stewards with our time, with our family, with our opportunities, with the things that he's given us. Make a resolution this day, God. It's all yours. Help me to steward well. Because I love you. Not because I'm concerned about meeting you and not having enough to show for it. It's not about that. It's God, I love you. You've given this to me. You've placed it in my care. Help me to be responsible to it. Would you come? Let's just spend some time before the Lord.